twas the night before hockey, as GMs get ready to face off with last ads, Holloway and Perfetti. We grin at the thought of the matches to come, the head-to-head victories sure to be won. For now is the time of the season unbound. From endless possibility, one path is found, delivering managers patient and wise to the honor of their league's most coveted prize. The rosters are set on the platform with care, and Ben tightens the bolts on his rickety chair, for he knows that Prague puck drop and opening shift may thrill him into another reaction gif. For over the summer we all have endured a sports desert to which no one's truly inured. But now with drafts finished and teams taking shape, we're enticed by the slap of past pucks striking tape. So near now to the season's long-waited reveal, jerseys flashing in spotlights, bright golden and teal, to transform projections, calculated potential, to thousands of real-life shots, rubber torrential. And if 50 or 60 should find their way in for Ovi or Matthews, a dozen for Quinn, contributions from the first round down to the dregs of free agency, that's what give champ squads the legs to carry one into that springtime achievement, after which all foes must then sit in agreement in awe of the GM who this season staved off all comers now into the trophy engraved in silver immortal the names of the kings now call them implore them to deliver your rings now Connor now Austin now Roman Kirill on Alex on Victor on Philip the Thrill to the top of the standings the best of the brawl now skate away skate away skate away all and allow me the chance to ask for we are done that you help ensure fantasy hockey's for everyone and as shining ice sets our eyes dancing alight, happy hockey to all, and to all a good night. What's up, champs? Welcome to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We are back on twitch.tv slash Keeping Carlson, and we're back in your earballs on Spotify and, I don't know, whatever other places people listen to podcasts. Um, I'm your host tonight, Ben Burnett, and I'm not joined by my my usual intrepid co-host, Lewis Ezekiel. Lewis will be back for our, you know, the season's coming up. Lewis will be back full-time very shortly. But for now, I am continuing my preseason interview series, uh, impromptu interview series. There were no plans to to do it like this, but here we are a few, few episodes in. Um, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. This is, I, I would say, the the symbol of the zero goalie movement. Um, you know, we around these parts, we've been saying, a gab, all goalies are bastards for a long time. Uh, it means just, you know, can't trust a goalie. Essentially, goalies are voodoo. Um, but zero goalies is the uh, the movement that has uh, swept the nation, and we uh, we're very fortunate to have Nate Grubling. Oh my God! No, <laughs> Nate, it, plug your ears. Nate Groot Neblink uh, joining us from the Apples and Genos Pod. Nate, sorry for butchering your name, but welcome to the show. Uh, you weren't the first, and you'll hardly be the last. So no worries about that. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I was glad to get the invite. Happy to talk some goalies and to uh, try to make sense of what we can do early on in the season here. 
Yes, that's right. So as Nate and I have sort of alluded to at this point, um, we basically, the idea for this show was that I didn't want to, I didn't want to go too far into the season before sort of talking about goaltenders that are widely available on Yahoo or um, who, you know, you could be considering as targets if you either went for the zero goalie strategy, like Nate uh, advocates for, which is essentially, you know, fading goalies very hard in your drafts, um, you know, not grabbing your your Vasilevskis or Shostyurkins for sure, but in a lot of cases, even passing up on your, your Marc-Andre Fleury's or your Sergei Bobrovsky's. Um, but also, I, I thought that, you know, those... Folks who are not zero goalie advocates, those people who do invest in goalies, they're also going to find value here because I think they're always going to be looking for the next play, the ne- the third goalie who gives them a little bit of depth. And, you know, ideally, if you're somebody who invests highly in goaltenders in the draft, the best case scenario for you is that you you develop some excess value there and you're able to trade some of that goalie value and and buff up your, your skaters and your, yeah, your skaters. So, um yeah. Do I kind of have that right, Nate? Do you want to give people a sort of a rundown of the zero G strategy? Sure. Yeah. So I've been uh, perfecting this over the last uh, year or so, but um, basically the elevator pitch is that you want to spend less on goalies than the other people in your draft, simply because goalies are kind of the most replaceable players in fantasy hockey. You know, last year we had Vili Huso, we had Anton Forsberg play at elite levels. Uh, down the stretch and then the prior season we had Jack Campbell we had Mike Smith Uh, there's always these guys every single year Um, just some of the advantages real briefly uh, leaves you open to and searching for league winners at goalie Uh, someone in your league is going to get those guys there's going to be a couple of those guys and somebody's going to get them so you want to make sure that you're um, kind of in a position to be looking for and acquiring these potential league winners and it kind of keeps you from take lock on highly drafted goalies as well. If you draft a guy in the fourth round and he just absolutely tanks, you're kind of going to hold on to him for far longer than you should, and he's going to tank your roster. And we see um, through data that I've looked at, basically all the skaters that get taken in those first rounds are very, very safe investments. Um, it's really hard to completely bust on a skater in those rounds, outside of injury, of course, but that's... Um, both there for skaters and for goalies. And then obviously what it allows you to do is to fill your roster uh, up with the best skater group in the league and then continually search for that goalie to kind of be the last piece of the puzzle. Uh, the disadvantage is that you definitely do have to stay vigilant on the on the waiver wire and to kind of uh, be willing to churn your roster a little bit at the bottom end with these goalies. Um I think it's a misnomer. I think a lot of people think that I'm spending like three or four ads a week on goalies alone, but I'm not really doing that. I'm usually just one, maybe two in a week. Um, But I am looking for guys who have potential to actually break out and be a difference maker, guys who are going to get volume. And if they happen to hit in a big way, um, that's when you really see the the biggest rewards and you see them become those league winning type uh, waiver wire ads. Totally. And I, I, as I mentioned earlier, have long been a, a proponent of fading goalies and drafts, mainly because I, we, we were kind of talking about this off camera before the show began. Um, the thing of everybody who's listening to this show, everybody who's watching this stream, you guys are generally the folks who are looking for and thinking about fantasy hockey advice, fantasy hockey strategy. 
And as important as it is to be open to, you know, advice and and to keep your ears open and, and to pay attention, you also have to kind of think of like what strategies work with your playing style. And for me personally, I am the sort of person who hates a sunk cost, like will hold on to the players I drafted beyond the point where most people give up. And I don't want to create an, a situation where I'm holding on to a dead roster space for myself. And so I avoid goaltenders because I don't, like I said, I, I need to play to my own strengths and weaknesses. And, and that's one for me. Um, Nate, I, I want to start the show, I guess, by sort of asking who your who your zero goalie targets were this this draft season. Who, were, who did you wind up with in a, in a lot of spots? Yeah, so I guess the primary one, uh, I guess you would say, is Anton Forsberg, which looks a lot better now uh, with uh, Cam yes. Talbot going down to injury. That's kind of uh, just fortunate. It's not really, uh, I can't really claim a whole lot of uh, foresight, obviously, on the injury. Um, but I was into Forsberg. I think uh, just the the verbiage we heard around the acquisition of Cam Talbot. A lot of people thought that Cam Talbot was instantly going to be the starter there, but I mean, they gave up Philip Gustafson for him, who was, um, I don't know what you thought of Philip Gustafson, but I didn't think he was a, a world-beating goaltender prospect or anything like that. I think they just wanted some something to solidify the other part of that tandem, and they pretty pretty much said as much. Uh, Pierre Dorian in the in the conference after the trade pretty much said as much that they felt they had a good tandem now. Um, and just the way he worded it made me think that uh, Forsberg could get the first crack regardless. And with Forsberg going considerably later than Talbot, I was kind of willing to take the uh, take the discount, so to speak, on a tandem. And then we've already seen Forsberg outperform in this environment. And But then on the other hand, you have Talbot, who's um, in his mid-30s and coming from a very good defensive situation to uh, not, very, not a very good defensive situation in Ottawa currently. So uh, that was just a bet that I was willing to make, especially on the cost. He was going very, very late. Um, So Anton Forsberg was a big one. Um, I kind of, as most people do, I kind of divided my goalies up into tiers, and um, I was kind of willing to start taking goalies uh, in a third tier, which I would include uh, Bennington, Merzlikens, Bobrovsky, Georgiev, Murray, and Gibson in that tier for me. And I was willing to take those guys, but I was mostly only willing to do it if they got to me in the 10th or 11th round. Um, otherwise, I was just going to fade right on to the next tier. Um, and with tier-based drafting, right, what you're trying to do is you're trying to draft kind of the last few players from that tier. You don't want to be at the top of the tier. You don't want to be mm-hmm. um, devoting more draft capital um, to get someone who's going to essentially in your own estimation provide similar value to someone who's going to be drafted later so um in my cacuffle draft actually i ended up kind of getting pretty far into my tiers and uh getting well into my fourth and fifth tiers with a few of my guys i ended up with vanacek vejmalka and anton forsberg actually um which doesn't sound as, worse <laughs> it doesn't sound as bad now as it did on draft mm-hmm. day um but i'm honestly i'm very comfortable and confident going into the season with that group it's uh it's the way i like to do things all of those guys have paths to being um volume starters and at least uh fantasy relevant in uh in a point setup like this so i'm pretty happy to start with these three guys and see where things go from here 
So you said, sorry, Forsberg, Vemelka, and... Vanacek. And Vanacek, yeah. Um, so Vanacek's looking pretty good in preseason, which is, you know, there, there's that. But um, yeah, I think the Cupful is a really interesting league for goaltending strategy because of the point setup where you can definitely rack up a lot of points off goaltenders and it's very rare. It's kind of built to not punish you for, for spamming goalie starts. So I definitely am, am on board with that. Um, I think the issue with the issue that most people run into in terms of going zero G is if they're in a categories league and they need to find somebody who can be either on a good team or a very solid uh, rate stat put up solid rate stats for you. Um, But Fortunately, that's why we're here. We're going to talk about that. Uh, you brought up Forsberg already, and and I think that that was somewhere where I wanted to start tonight, mainly because you know this is this is the short shifts program. We are very quickly, very soon, going to be uh, back on our our usual grind of of bringing the up to date news for all of our listeners. But yeah, I guess the first headline of of this preseason is that. Um, that Cam Talbot's out for five to seven weeks, and it looks like Anton Forsberg is going to get the first crack at the net. Um, I saw one, I think it was Bruce Garriock, uh tweeting today that there are no back-to-backs in this, in this stretch. So Anton Forsberg legitimately could be, you know, starting the first 15, 20 games for this Senator squad. Um, it sounds like you're, you're pretty much all in already, Nate. Am, am I right on that? Yeah. Yeah, like I said, Forsberg was someone that I was interested in just kind of because of the disparity in draft capital that it took to acquire him. Um, And we saw the upside already, so um, why not take that shot again? And it's kind of an interesting situation. I I don't know of very many situations where a goalie would perform that well uh, in a previous season and then just get completely... uh, faded by the entire community on the basis of a 35-year-old, very average, in my estimation, goaltender uh, coming over Mm -hmm. from another team, and they really didn't give up much to get him. So that was always someone that I was going to be interested in, and that's kind of where I like to play with uh, zero-G targets, is to find these guys who are in these situations where the upside is just so much greater than the draft cost. And then if you like, if I hit on one of these three goalies that I drafted in Kakuffel, Vanacek, um, Forsberg, and Vimalka, if one of those three guys sticks on my roster all year, then that's a big win for me with my strategy because I had waited until the 14th round to take my first goaltender. And if one of those guys sticks for the entire season, then that's a huge win already. So, um, Goaltender is just a unique position where you can actually do that and you can actually somewhat expect that that might actually be a realistic scenario, whereas many of the skaters that we're taking uh, in the 14th or these kind of rounds, you don't really, at least I don't have any real expectation that these guys are going to stick on my roster all season long. Totally. It's very similar if if anyone's listening and is new to Fantasy Hockey, very similar to the late round quarterback strategy in fantasy football because every team has one um one guy who's going to get the volume and there there's opportunity there because of that dynamic in in rosters um i agree with you though too about forsberg not a guy i was targeting um in drafts because i just wound up sort of taking care i i really didn't want to have more than two goalies on any of my teams this year uh coming out of the draft and i wound up just finding fairly solid uh, value where I was drafting in in all of my leagues, but I do think 
I don't know. There's just a I have bad vibes on Cam Talbot this year to quote uh, quote last week's guest, Dave Benton. I mean, put up decent numbers in Minnesota, but that's Minnesota. There's definitely a, a scenario where I know everyone's super hype about this Sens team, but there's definitely a scenario where this Sens team is if they are good, it's like while winning games six to four uh, and mm-hmm. Forrestburg to me is, you know, has been much more impressive statistically the last few years. Yep. Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility, um, and it's the reason why I was worried about Talbot specifically. With Forsberg, you've kind of seen already seen him outperform that, at least for a stretch. Mm-hmm. Now, that could just be totally a luck thing, um, <laughs> and it could be something that we never see again out of Forsberg for the rest of his time or the rest of his career. So um, that's definitely a possibility and not one I'm discounting by any means, but uh, yeah. just given the cost to acquire it, it's definitely a shot I thought was worth taking. Well, we're going to find out anyway, if, uh, if <laughs> we're definitely going to find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did have, a, there are a few names that I, I found really interesting from the zero G strategy this year. And I'm, I'm kind of, was kind of curious to hear where you landed on, um, two in particular. Um, I, I'm putting you on the spot here. We did not prepare for these names, but I just was curious about Jake Allen and Ville Husso. Um, Ville Husso to me was a terrifying option this year. Uh, not terrifying, I guess, because the cost was low enough that, um, that you could, you could, uh, draft Ville Husso in where you're talking round 14 or, or thereabouts, and he's not going to ruin your season. Um, but going to a team again, much like the senators, that is not famously good at this point. Um, and also joining a tandem with somebody who the team gave up assets to bring in previously. So that doesn't mean to say I'm trying to, to downgrade Huso or, or suggest that they didn't also give up assets to bring in Huso because they clearly did. But to me, that that setup is screaming tandem. And, and I'm not loving the concept of a uh, of a 1A or a 1B. Uh, Jake Allen, to me, represents a really interesting really, really interesting volume starter option because he's going basically for free everywhere. And that Habs team probably will be bad, but they weren't, you know, Jake Allen wasn't awful uh, the entire season last year. So the, those are the two that I kind of wanted to ask you about. Yeah. So starting with Huso, uh, in my kickoffle draft, he went in the 14th as well um, in front of my Vanacek pick. Um so I didn't have the chance to draft him. Um, I do have him in the same tier there with Vanacek, so he would have been in consideration. But I, I do have some of the same concerns as you do. Uh, I don't think... I think Nedeljkovic uh, actually is a talented goalie. Um, I don't think he was quite ready to take over a full net for a bad team uh, like he had to with Detroit last year. And so I think there's at least a chance that Nedeljkovic is just straight up the better goalie for Detroit this year. Um, and like you said, the cost to acquire in the 14th round, um, definitely worthwhile to take that stab. That's why he's going there, I would assume. Um, but I kind of almost prefer the shot on Nedeljkovic even later if you're in a much, if you're in a very deep league. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have any Huso anywhere. It seems like he's going, um, just a little bit ahead of, uh, ahead of where I would draft him, or I just happen to have one other player in that tier that I prefer slightly. So um, I don't I don't hate taking the shot. We obviously saw a great stretch there with the Blues last year um, and won me a championship. So thank you, Vili Huso, for that. But uh, yeah, I'm, 
I'm I've kind of been off of Huso uh, in the early going here, at least as well. Uh, Jake Allen is an interesting one. Definitely, we've seen stretches where he's performed and performed admirably. Uh, I do think you kind of have a similar situation there where the defense is going to be very questionable for Montreal. And Allen has also not shown the ability to stay healthy uh, when given a a large workload. So that's another concern that I do have with Allen. and also they're in that division with all these top scoring teams uh, with Tampa and Toronto and Florida and now Ottawa, um, which uh, does concern me a little bit. So again, with Alan, I've just been a little bit off of him enough to the point where it seems like I'm getting other guys, um, but definitely he's a perfectly fine volume option in those later rounds. Well, Nate, we did ask you to prepare a few players who you are targeting as we get into the fantasy hockey season. Before we talk about those folks, we're going to take a very quick break. You're listening to Short Shifts. Welcome back to Short Shifts. I'm here, joined with Nate Groot Niblink, a name that I've never once flubbed. Uh, (laughs) Nate, uh, as I teased before we went to break, uh, you're going to give us a couple of, you're going to give us a couple of your picks, guys who you're looking at as, uh, as targets. If you went zero G or even if you're just looking for a little bit of goalie depth here in the early weeks of the fantasy season, uh, what's the first name that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, the first one is Karel Vimelka, um, from the Arizona Coyotes. I know this is a team that Uh, Not a lot of people are going to be interested in drafting a goalie from, uh, but it does look to me, at least on the surface right now, like he could be a volume starter there, Uh, especially in a points league. uh, That's pretty attractive. The other attractive thing with Arizona is all their off night games. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Anaheim obviously leading the way with 45 off day games. Arizona is second with 38. So if you're doing a zero G setup and you like me took three goalies to try to see who might uh, emerge on the early going of the season, um, then Vamelka is a pretty good option um, just to take advantage of those off nights. He's not going to hurt you um, by being um, by starting, I guess, on the same nights as your other starters, most likely. So I like that there. Um, he showed some pretty good flashes last year when he was really just completely thrown into the fire. And a lot of goalies we've seen um, who looked better previously get thrown into bad situations like that and then just completely wilt. And we kind of saw Vemelka able to sustain at least a... Um, I'm not going to say great level of play, but at least a um, somewhat um, starter-worthy level of play throughout the season. Um, so I'm definitely interested to see if Vimelka can even take a step this year, uh, second year, uh, working with the same coaches and whatnot in Arizona. So um, definitely not ruling that out as well. So given the off nights, given the potential volume, and given the potential for a second year um, step up in his play, I'm willing to take that shot on Vimelka. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting shot to call because I I feel like the... I feel like expectations are so low for Vemelka this year that nobody's going to call you out if he doesn't pop off. But <laughs> if he does, Nate, you're going to be at the forefront of the Vemelka movement. <laughs> um, yeah, 52 games played last year in Arizona, an 898 save percentage. Usually when I see a sub-900 save percentage, my my thought process is, okay, yeah, not not a great year, like just off top, no matter what. But 
honestly, I I find it really hard to fault a guy who's behind that Arizona team and and to say, you know, seeing some of the performances that he put up last year, like he single-handedly won people either goalie stats or, you know, put up 30 fantasy points in the cupful uh, in, you know, two or three games stretches last year because he was getting such intense volume. So definitely a... I would say a lottery ticket for who could pay off big for you. So I, I definitely think I definitely agree that that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. If Vemelka is on your waiver wire or you're just looking for a spot start here to start the year, somebody who could wind up having long-term that you could add for one start, who's going to have long-term uh, upside. So Nate, I'll throw it back to you uh, to give us a second name. Who, who else are you looking at? Yeah. Another one I'm looking at is Philip Grubauer. Um, last year, we know he was pretty much, by every metric imaginable, the worst goalie in the league. Um, by a lot of metrics that I look at, uh, the Kraken were not as bad defensively as he was at playing goaltender. So this is kind of an interesting one to be back in on. Uh, obviously, the cost to acquire, again, very low because of how bad he was last year. But if you look across um, the seasons that he put together before last season, his lowest uh, save percentage in any single season before last year was a 916. And obviously went to a new situation, uh, was asked to shoulder a workload he'd never taken on before, and didn't fare well. Nothing really went well all season long, and he was pretty bad. Um, this year, uh, I kind of subscribe to a theory that uh, goalies, some goalies anyway, uh, go to a new situation and they need a year to figure it out. Maybe it's a new goaltending coach asking them to do something they've never tried before. Uh, whatever the case may be, it seems like some of these guys, we saw it with Jacob Markstrom in Calgary, uh, where it took a year before he uh, took another step uh, with Calgary. I think we could see uh, kind of a a uh, muted version of that uh, with Philip Grubauer here in Seattle. And if Grubauer, like if Grubauer gives you a 910 save percentage this year and maintains a similar volume last year, he had 55 starts. If he gets a ton of shots once again, um, then really you're looking at a really nice um, kind of goalie two, I guess, on your squad um, for the basically the entire season. And yeah, you can get them in the 14th, 15th rounds of your drafts, uh, very available on a lot of um, shallower leagues. He'd probably be out on the waiver wire as well. You are speaking my exact language with this pick. Uh, 2022 is the is the year of the rise of Groob. Um, shouts out the minions and shouts out uh, Philip Grubauer because we are taking over this year. I have him everywhere I could get him. I wound up with Grubauer because of the volume opportunity and because everybody faded the crap out of him because he was so terrible last year that it's basic like you, you know, we're talking about a lotto pick. We're talking about a free shot right now. So I am very on board with Philip Grubauer. 55 games played, 18 wins. 889 save percentage last year. He can't possibly be worse than that, right? <laughs> I don't think he can be worse than that. And really, you're, you're not asking for you're not asking for too much from him, right? Um, if he gets to a 910 save percentage, then it's a huge win uh, based on where you drafted him, and he fits really well in with a zero G team. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, who you got next? Let's let's keep rolling. Next one is Eric Comrie. Uh, this is one that's been kind of a slow burn for me. I've been kind of warming on him throughout the preseason here. Um, it seems like 
really like his his competition is Craig Anderson. Um, if he can't beat Craig Anderson, then we know right away <laughs> that Eric Comrie is not going <laughs> to be a thing for fantasy hockey this year. But last right. year with the Jets, uh, 19 games played, he posted a 920 save percentage. The Jets were not a terrific defensive team by any metric, and uh, and Comrie has kind of had. Um, gone through a long stretch where he just hasn't played a lot of games. If you look back at uh, his games played throughout uh, the last uh, couple of seasons before last season, he just basically wasn't playing any games. The AHL, the NHL, he just wasn't getting games. I don't know the full story on uh, what happened in all those seasons, um, but if you go back even before that to when he was playing in the AHL, he was actually pretty successful. Um, 34 games in 2017-18 with a 916 save percentage. In 2018-19, 47 games in the AHL with a 917 save percentage. So it's not like this is a guy who hasn't had some success at a professional level before. And now he's got a huge opportunity, in my mind, on an ascending team in Buffalo. Um, I think Buffalo takes another step this year and is at least a... uh, I wouldn't say a playoff team, but I would say a in-the-conversation team for much of the year. Um, so I think that's a definite possibility that the Sabres are good enough to make Eric Comrie relevant if he's good enough to beat out Craig Anderson. I'm a, I'm with you here. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's going to be a common theme where I say I'm with you here on all of these because to me, I've, I've said this on the pod many times, we're looking for opportunity and we are trying not to pay too hard, uh, too close of an attention to, I guess, things that stats that are unrepeatable or stats that we don't assume are repeatable. Like there's there's lots of reasons to um, to discount players that are that are just a moment away from turning the corner and breaking out. And with Eric Comrie, the interesting thing, like you said, he's barely played 28 mm-hmm. career NHL games. Um, and a lot of them, he put up very, very decent numbers on a terrible team, just like you said. So I am a little bit worried about Cranderson. Um, I, I say Cranderson because I, I, it's a very unintimidating, uh, portmanteau <laughs> for Craig Anderson. Um, and I want to believe in Eric Comrie. Um, but Cranderson started really strong last year. I just have a feeling that like, this might be one that pans out over a little bit longer of a time Mm -hmm. period. Um, If, you know, Anderson, I think is a guy who is because of his age, I think he's more likely to have a a worse second half than a first half or to suffer a, a, an injury that knocks him out by, you know, mid November or so. Mm -hmm. So I could see like a bit of a split to start, but I, I definitely think, I definitely think that that's a good target to have in your in the back of your mind because if he goes down, Comrie all of a sudden has this opportunity to take over, and he has we have no idea if he if he can if he could be as good as we maybe thought he was when he started his career when he was a prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nate, we have a I think we have one more team we want to talk about. Am I right about this? Yes. Yeah, I want to all talk right. about the Kings tandem because I think it's a really interesting one. Uh, so last year, obviously, I think we all know the story. Uh, we all thought it was Cal Peterson's time to kind of take over the net from Jonathan Quick, and Jonathan Quick said, uh, not so fast. Uh, this is still my net, and he kind of took it back. And Peterson really struggled, 895 save percentage across 37 games, um, while Quick was comparatively decent, I guess, 910 save percentage in 46 games. Um So Peterson was someone I targeted in a lot of places last year, and I had him on a lot of teams. Um, But I 
very quickly just kind of flipped him for Quick when it became apparent that Quick was going to get the majority of the starts. Um, and that's it's an interesting team because uh, this is what I tend to do with these goaltenders uh, in these situations where it's a little nebulous between the two goalies. Uh, you're not quite sure uh, which one might take the reins at any given moment. I basically just watch and see if anybody's getting two starts in a row. If anybody gets two starts in a row, that's the guy that they're having the most confidence with at the moment. And if those two starts are decent starts, you can bet that they're going to get another crack at two starts uh, once again. So that's something that I really watch for um, when trying to analyze these situations where it seems like there's two guys and you're waiting to see if one might actually take the reins and might... uh, provide even more value and get some actual volume that might make them relevant for fantasy. Um, So yeah, in the case last year of the Kings, I had Peterson when quick kind of hit that mark where he was taking two games and he was looking pretty good. Then I flipped over to quick um, and I rode quick for most of, uh, I would say the middle of my season and then uh, turned him into Huso a little later on and rode Huso to the finals. So there's definitely uh, guys like this who will kind of emerge in the midseason, and that's just how I tend to do it. Uh, for this year, I think it's once again going to be a similar story. So I think uh, this kind of uh, approach will really apply to the Kings once again this year. I would assume with how he played last year that Quick will get the the first game and the majority of starts to open the season. Um, but I'm definitely open to the possibility that last year was just a bit of an aberration for Peterson, maybe put a lot of pressure on himself. We know that goaltending is a very mental position as much as it is physical. Um, and yeah, Peterson had been very good in the seasons before that, uh, had shown some pretty solid save percentage numbers. So I'm definitely leaving the door open in my mind that Peterson might not be cooked just because of one bad season. Yeah. I, I want to believe in Cal here. Um, but I definitely also got burned not refusing to believe in the resurgence of Johnny Quick. And uh, the man's proved me wrong. So <laughs> do you have a guess on on where you think things wind up? It, I know, obviously, I use the word guess intentionally because it does feel, to me at least, like it could go either way over the course of a full season. Yeah. Uh, In terms of starts over the full length of the season, just because I do think that Quick gets um, 55 to 60% of the starts to start the season, I think that uh, he'll end up with the most starts on the season. Um, You could call it, uh, you know, like 50 to 32 or um, somewhere between 45 to 50 starts for Quick and then uh, the rest going to Peterson. That would be my best guess at this point. But like I said, definitely... um, not uh, not shutting out Peterson entirely. I think he's uh, got a chance at least to reclaim that net if Quick does falter at some point. Excellent. Nate, thank you so much for joining us tonight for Short Shifts. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find your work? Absolutely, yeah. Best place to catch up with me is probably over on Twitter, at Apple's Genos. Um, yeah, I've been writing for Yahoo this year. That's new this year. Um, putting out some articles over there so you can see some of my work there. Otherwise, uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter. We can get you into the Apples and Genos Discord server if you want to be notified of whenever articles or podcasts or anything come out. 
Excellent. And you should definitely be following Nate. He put out a ton of great content this offseason. Lots of great podcasts coming out all the time. Uh, you uh, you know what? It's We have a growing fantasy hockey community on Twitter. Nate is an important voice on there. And uh, yeah, give him a follow. Uh, so once again, Nate, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, thank you to those who are listening. Um, be sure to give us a follow as well at ShortShiftsKK on Twitter. Follow Brian and Elon at Keeping Carlson and Cousin Dave of the Stream Scheme at NHL Stream Scheme. Shouts out to our producer, John Reed, on the ones and twos for these live streams. Uh, catch us on twitch.tv slash Keeping Carlson again soon. And make sure you also follow the Game Day Line Suites uh, suite of accounts at Game Day Lines, at Game Day Goalies, and at Game Day News. Uh, Our intro and outro music was created by Pat Roach. Until we see you next time, play smart and keep your shifts short.